Scarlet Rhapsody presents The Bizarro Files. everyone welcome to the bizarro files i'm your host jared aka bizarro aka jared aka jared the greek uh aka etc and i'm here with uh boss of the website producer and all around awesome lady who gets us our funny sims images miss scarlet hi etc how are you doing i'm doing good today we're going to talk about a tv show we've been watching for the last few years i went on a lot as Brief hiatus for the last couple of weeks. We'll be back this week. I'm talking about American Horror Story. Three, se- three and a half seasons thus far. And, uh... Well, let's first uh, start about well how you got into American Horror Story. I uh, got th- through a friend of mine who basically asked the question, have you ever heard of American Horror Story? To which I said, no. And he's like, really? Because it's an FX show. And I go, and that's probably why I've never heard of this. And he's like, well... Since we've been watching Archer, I may as well get you into American Horror Story. So he started showing me season one. And I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. It's creepy. And, you know, you, you start to get worried about the main cast. And generally the first season just strong on all levels. Plus, for those of you who know, it has that Dr. McTreamy guy. So yay for him. When I first got into American Horror Story, a coworker um, mentioned it to me, and because we were like just talking back and forth about shows on Netflix, and I just recently got a Netflix subscription um, when I moved to Boston because I wasn't planning on getting cable, and I was asking her, I was like, "Yeah, there's this huge snowstorm coming up. I'm probably gonna marathon through something on Netflix. What do you recommend?" And she's like, "Well, if you're not too squeamish, American Horror Story is really good." And she was just kind of telling me about the premise of season one. And season two had just finished around that time. So Netflix had season one, and I was just so hooked on season one. I just marathoned through the whole thing during the snowstorm, just cooped up in my room. And then season two at the time was not available on Netflix. So what I did was, well, I just grabbed my credit card, went on Amazon.com, and I have the whole series just streamed for me like during the snowstorm and just watching season one and season two back to back that was intense yeah that uh wouldn't entirely have been my choice for a snowstorm uh, what's your th- uh thing for the snowstorm uh, i'm not sure the thing yeah i play the thing white out um happy feet happy feet that's pretty scary yeah uh madagascar 2 no, the penguins. We want to watch the penguin movie. Now, well, no, it isn't out yet, though. But yes, no, the penguin movie. movie's out. Oh no, it is out, isn't it? Yeah. So yes, it, everything I do would be snow themed, just to make me that much more scared. But if you live by yourself, then the thing isn't that big of a deal because you don't have to not trust anyone. So that's nice. But your computer could still be a cheating bitch. 
Yeah, because I just was like just watching through episode through episode, and I was like, oh, great, great. Like I was already feeling kind of sleepy when they did the whole like Pope reveals the Antichrist thing towards and the end of one episode, and then as I was moving forward, I was like, I want to see the end of this. I just want to see how it all ends, and I had to wait till the next day when I woke up and grabbed my breakfast and poured my cereal. I was like, okay, all right, what what happens next? Because that's the rank up there of how I watch. I used to watch Cinema Snob episodes while eating breakfast. And that's great until, like, you're eating oatmeal and Necromantic is the movie of the week. And I'm like, this, this is not going to work. I'm going to slide my oatmeal aside and just finish this video, then eat oatmeal. So let's just go through this um, season by season. So season one, what you think? I really liked it. Uh, the ending was a super downer, but horror story, so I'm kind of fine with that. Oh, by the way, this episode will have crap tons of spoilers. <laughs> You've been warned. You've been warned. You can go back and um, listen to our Star Wars episode. Yeah, that has less spoilers. Except for when I talked about Palpatine dying. That was pretty... That ruined movie three. And that movie's been out for like 30 years, so... Oh, God, it has been out for 30 years. 31 years. What, the prequels? No. You said Palpatine dying in episode three. Yeah, Return of the Jedi, the original episode three. Whatever. We're getting sidetracked. Um... The reveal of the rubber man I thought was kind of stupid. It didn't make much sense to me because it didn't have any implication at any other point that that was that guy. And so I thought that was kind of stupid. Yeah, I kind of saw that coming from a mile away because, like... Who's the only other male character in the story who's straight? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, But I just thought it was a dumb reveal. I think there's something more they could have done with it. Yeah, I mean... Well, when I was watching this series on Netflix, you had the image of the rubber man with um, the mother character, and she's pregnant. It's like, okay, where where is this story go- going? And then I kind of like the premise. It's a haunted house story at its finest, and you have this family moving from Boston to LA, kind of like my opposite um, route in life. And they live in this mansion that has like so many so many dark secrets that it used to be like an abortion center um, back in the ye golden age of Hollywood. And you have like all these things that just happen in the house and you have all these ghosts just haunting. Homunculus baby. Yeah. And you just have all these things just happening. And like, I just really like how each period of when the house was inhabited was looked really nice. It had period accurate music, um, costumes, and and just kind of tones. And just kind of like just little nuances that just kind of make you feel like you're in that time period. And that's one of the things that I find would, um, that's American Horror Story's strong point, but I have some nitpicks on that for season four. We'll get into that we'll get later. Season by season. I, I think they did a lot. You can tell they put a lot of effort into making the series really good. They got a really huge amount of really talented actors. Like, I make the McDreamy joke, but Dylan McDermott is actually a good actor. Uh, Zachary Quinto, well... I don't like two of the movies that he's in. I think he himself is actually a really good actor. I love him in Heroes. Yeah, he's great in Heroes. Until they ruined his character, but that's not his fault. Um, And then who would have guessed that Evan Peters would become this really amazing character actor as well. Yeah, Evan Peters, um, when he he plays Tate, who's one of the main antagonists of season one, and... I found his character to just be like the most interesting because I just wanted to know what his backstory was, what his deal was. And also what I liked about Tate is you never could really tell if he was really a sociopath or if he was being honest towards the end. 
Yeah. You really, you really didn't know kind of where he was going with that. And I liked the fact that because his mother knew he was a ghost, she could still pay for his therapy sessions. <laughs> I thought that was actually amusing. At first I was like, wait, if he's a ghost, Till McDermott's going to know him because he's not going to ever pay. And then she'd stop by and like pay him occasionally. I'm like, oh, oh, right. Because she could see him too. So yeah, she could totally pay for her ghost son to get therapy. Um, and I liked that. I liked Jessica Lange that she was she stole the show with season one. Oh, she was amazing. She she was great of just how she plays this washed up actress and you know just how manipulative and horrible of a person she is. And she plays herself in the flashbacks too, where she's also a manipulative, horrible person. And when you get to the very end, when you see her at a hair salon and she just. T tells herself in the mirror or her hairstylist, I'm meant for to do some great things on this earth. And um, the way season one ends, it ends on this really weird note. Really dark note. <laughs> you hear Twisted Nerve playing the background and you see the kid that she adopted, the baby that was supposedly the Antichrist, murder the housekeeper. Yeah. And she's just like, oh, you. But she's like, sitting there like, that's my boy. I'm sitting there like, she is just so proud that her, I guess, grandchild um, like, would make the most logical sense of that one. It's just this murderous psychopath who's going to basically conquer the world. So that's great. <laughs> and that's, you want your down note? The Antichrist is born and has a supportive grandmother. That's a fucking downer ending. It's really difficult to really get much more downer than that. And you end up really liking this family a lot. You want them to win. You want the mother to to live. Like, you want her to escape. And you, want, you want all of them to escape. You want Dylan McDermott to be uh, redeemed for all his horrible, horrible stuff he did in his past. Yeah, but, like, when you... Because I thought, like, she, yeah, she was going to escape from it. Uh, but, like, during the childbirth sequence, like, okay, I guess she just finally gives up because she also gives up on um, Dylan McDermott. Yeah. And I thought it was a very well-written season. It just kept you wanting more and more. That's why, like, I was just watching it, like, in the evening hours, and I just wanted to just... I just... It, it was, like, a really... It was a page-turner. It's, like... It was reading a really good Goosebumps book. Now to kind of something a little more highbrow, but... Well, I was into war by in fourth grade. Because after seeing the uh, people on, I think it's Tumblr or whatever, who do the Goosebumps covers of modern stuff, and they have the season three Goosebumps version, and I'm like, season three does feel like a really bad Goosebumps book. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's a lot, lot of characters to like, a lot of memorable things. And seeing how these people just get destroyed in and around this house is so tragic in, in many cases where you're like, oh, you, oh, no, no, don't do that. Like you, you actually don't want the people who you know are going to do something bad to, to not do that bad thing. Um, and then you want to see more of the, ma the young maid and the uh, actress chick as a little uh, pairing. That's, that was pretty hot. I'm like, if this was on HBO, this scene would be a lot hotter. But I will accept you. Thank you, FX, for uh, for that one. I'm going dot 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 right now. For those who know me, know I'm thinking of it right now. So, <laughs> but beyond that, I don't know how much more we can really. Actually, I take it back. There's one other scene I really, really loved that wasn't sexual in nature. It's when the new people move in and Dylan McDermott and friends like scare them out of the house, and I'm like, oh my god, it's it's what they wanted the the. Uh, uh, not Bateman's uh, 
maintenance. It was what they wanted the maintenance family to do in Beetlejuice. It's just, oh no, you're a ghost. Your job is to scare people to out of this house. That's your whole purpose in afterlife. And I love the fact that they do that, but they do the whole, like, let's, we can just totally freak them out because we're ghosts and whatever we do to ourselves, we just revert to whatever we were when we died. So you can do all the haunting crap that they did to them. And, I and you got the whole, it. and you got the, every single ghost in the house to be a part of that ensemble. I really like that. Yeah. If it had just ended on that, it would have been like the happiest upbeat ending ever. I'm just like, they're all dead, but they're having a good freaking time doing it. And you actually see the family being happy for the first time. When you see that scene of them like right by at the Christmas tree, just actually being together because when they were living, they were all miserable. Yeah. And how ironic it, how, what a twist it is that they're happier in the afterlife than they were in the mortal life. And then you have the other like unhappy ghosts who are just hanging outside the door, like watching them, like, accept us, accept us in. And I kind of like that whole kind of thing of showing like the negative people who just can't even get in the house for whatever reason they can't get in. And I, and I liked that. I liked that as a kind of an interesting kind of twist on the whole thing. It, it was just for, it was more, you know, not even. Uh, as just a storytelling motif, it works really well to have that, where you have the people on the outside looking in going like, that should be us, but we're still stuck in our angst and anger and hate and vengeful desires, while the people in the house have kind of gotten over that crap, and they're like, whatever, let's just enjoy the afterlife. All right, let's shall we move on to season two, Asylum. This one I got to see with you, because I didn't have a chance to see it before I moved. It takes place in our home state. Yep. Massachusetts. I have no idea where the Briar Cliff would be, but I assume like somewhere in Western Mass. It's all trees, Western Mass. And that one, that was a tough one to get into. That first episode is not a good introduction for the series. And really, it's because of the aliens. Because at first when I saw the alien stuff, I'm like, wait, I thought this was like an insane asylum thing. What, what's up the aliens? Because my mind instantly goes, oh, cool, we get an alien season. That'd be kind of cool. There's so much things you could do with the aliens. If, are they, is it like a pod people kind of thing? Is, is it, you know, is, are Kodos and Kang going to take them to a planet where they'll experience things that are 10 times more than, than what we understand as fun and 100 times greater than what we know as love? Yeah, and, you know... Or is it to cook man? Twilight Zone, they always had, like, their alien episode, and I always thought those were done those. very well. And so I, I saw that, I'm like, wait, but you said it was an asylum season, because you had already seen it. And the opening just confused. Then he, then he gets into the mental hospital for seeing the aliens and stuff. I'm like, that's, that's stupid. They could have been anything. They could have done anything else to have not Tate get into the uh, mental hospital. Yeah, it's Evan Peters again, but now he's playing someone who's an adult. Because um, he's a character actor and he can do that. And I'd, I really like to transition because you really felt like the, those were two different people rather oh, yeah. than Evan Peters being Evan Peters. Because that's the problem I have with like, a lot of big name actors because... I prefer actors when they're being actors, not when I say like, oh, that's so-and-so. And, -so. Well, and hey. I'd, I'd say for the majority of the cast, you don't see them as the same people. When Dylan McDermott makes his return appearance at the end of season two as a completely different character, I was I had to be told, oh, that's Dylan McDermott. Like, oh my God, that totally is him. But he had the beard and he was just acting so freaky and creepy that like, I didn't realize it's the same that guy who usually plays, I'm good looking doctor. Who's good looking? Ding! The light sparkle off his teeth and so it's just like no we just grimed him up to make him look like a serial killer and i'm like i like that that's 
So we have this story taking place like in the mid-century and where like insane asylums were still like a thing to correct uh, behaviors um, and they would do so in very unethical kind of ways and there was a lot you can do with this. When I heard that this was be, it would be a, an insane asylum um, story combined with um, demonic possession and like the dark side of the Catholic Church, I'm like, oh my god, I am so in. And then you saw aliens, you're like, what the fuck? I'm like, this kind of feels out of place because I remember there was another franchise that used aliens and jumped to sharks. So I'm like, please don't let this jump to shark. You know what the hell, episode one of X-Files. <laughs> Sorry, X-Files is almost always about aliens. But I thought that'd be a good joke. Uh, but I, I did... I did the, the demon possession thing also felt like... That just felt uh, very unexpected. But you know, I was like, oh, they got all these... They got these nuns, and they got this priest and stuff. What kind of horrible stuff we're going to go through with these characters? Well, I kind of saw the demonic possession when coming from a mile away, because that usually happens like in these kind of situations. And... Well, this first second episode had like someone who was already possessed, and the spirit jumped into Sister Mary yeah, Eunice. It, it happens fairly early on. It's not one of those things where it took half the season to get to it. They they threw it in really early, and then it just builds up like how much chaos can be constructed out of that one demon. And with bad demons, you also have like that the angel of death character, who I thought was really interesting. I really liked her. She was because at first you're trying to figure out what she is, and then once you kind of figure it out, you're like. That's awesome. She's just hanging out. And also, I um, this is just my opinion. I really do believe that Jessica Lange's character, um, Sister Jude, this was this is her best character in this franchise. So easily, mm-hmm. hands down. I think she got an Emmy Award for the for for this performance. But either way, I just really like seeing Sister Jude on screen, and she had like that uh, that really weird duality of like, okay, I have like this. Um, really horrible past and I'm trying to like get rid of these demons like from my past and do I do it by just running to the sacred even though the sacred is making me a, a much more corrupt person than I really should be. And not even out of her own it was just it's one of those ones where she didn't realize how bad of a person she was becoming until the a demon possessed character basically shoves it in her face. It's like look look at all this horrible stuff you've done and that's one of those things where, you know, it's kind of that whole road to hell paved with good intentions. Her whole point was to do redemption. Her redemption made her a worse person because she was so obsessed with her own guilt and what have you that she wasn't really paying attention to the fact that she was hurting a lot of other people. And even though we only see a handful of characters, she's been in that position for at least a decade or so, right? It's something like that. She's been running that asylum for a while. Mm-hmm. So it's not one of those. So there's tons of characters we never saw who were dead. Yeah, when she is when she is on, she is fierce and she is nothing be, to be messed with. Yeah. But she also has like her times when she slips up. Like one of my favorite scenes of her was when she gets drunk when she's showing a movie to the uh, patients during the nor'easter storm. He's like, yeah, I'm kind of out of it right now. We're gonna watch the way of the cross. There's yeah, she began sex, to- drugs. All the things that you like about Cecil B. DeMille. Yeah, I like how when she first begins, she's like, this will teach them to you know, fear God and to be da-da-da. And then when she's drunk, she's like, oh, there's boobs and violence. You'll love it. <laughs> lions eating Christians. Lions eating Christians. It's great. <laughs> and I liked her. In, in of all four seasons, it's the only unique character she plays because season one, two, and one, three, and four have the exact same character. Uh, just season four has a different accent. 
And I'll get to that when I get to those later seasons. But I liked her. She just had so much depth. And you're like, well, what makes her so cruel? And when you learn about her past, when you learn what she's carrying and why that's driving her the way it's driving her, it really turns you around on the character because you understand kind of what she's trying to do. And you, you see that road to hell paved with good intentions. And, oh my God, of all characters in any season, a redemption story. Yeah, I really... Who would have guessed? <laughs> yeah, I... Even though I thought this was one of the weaknesses of season two, where like you had like two episodes that were wrapping everything up in a nice little bow. Yeah, we'll get to the ending. Yeah, but I, I did like the fact that like you stuck her for so long, you really want to see her redeem herself, and then she does have the nice happy ending that she deserves because I really like this character, and also being paired with Lily Rabe as Sister Mary Eunice, a demonically possessed nun. I also liked her performance as well, but th this some um, season had like some really interesting performances. I also liked the uh, Nazi doctor. I forgot what, he, who, what the actor's name was, but he's the voiceover of the villain in... He's a voiceover of the villain in Big Hero 6. That was surprised to me. Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. He's one of those character actors who's in everything and you never really think about it. And he was great in his role. I totally want to see him return in season four because the time periods would allow him to return as that character. And also the other thing I liked, I thought one was one of um, season two's strong points was in every American Horror Story, there's always like a little subplot in each of the seasons. Like in season one, you have the Black Dahlia storyline, but somehow it still adds to the overall story, whether it's showing a side of the character or if it's kind of adding some proof to a mystery that the show is exploring. I like the story arc where it's about where they would talk about um, this one girl who thinks she's Anne Frank um, because it just reveals a lot more about who this doctor really is because you kind of question it for a bit and then even though, like, like you know, he's doing some nefarious stuff, right. but you don't know how nefarious. Right, and you don't really not quite sure about his past and like what to to believe. But even though in the end she gets lobotomized into like this Stepford wife type thing, you which, see which that... really is the creepiest like, if you want to call it a death of that entire story, I would give hers like the creepiest one because hers is a living death. That death is shot on Instagram. <laughs> You kept to the image of her, of her of Stepford wife character? No, it's it's all. But another th thing I really find interesting about the American horror series, horror story series, and when you get into those period, um, period eras, and you see that image when she's that Stepford wife, like the film style kind of changes. Yeah. It's all green. It looks like it's done on like an old timey Super Eight before there was Super Eight. I just kind of like yeah. joke like, oh, it's shot on Instagram. Okay, um, I, I felt it was shot like it was supposed to be like a 1950s sitcom. Mm -hmm. And then you just see her like just turning into like this typical 50s housewife, and then you see the close-up of the doctor like hanging out with Hitler. It's like, oh my yeah. god. Yeah, it, it, she was completely right. She may have been crazy, but she was right. And I also like the story about the girl, the little girl who kills. Who does she kill again? Sorry, my mind's fucking out on that one. Everyone? Yeah, she kills everyone, and the possessed Sister Mary Eunice um, kind of gives her some advice to like be more evil. And, and to be more stealthy about it. And yeah, it was just this one little like one-shot character who they're like, no, you gotta take out my daughter. I think she's a murderer. And they're like, well, we looked her over. We don't do children here, so, you know, just be a better parent. And then just, nope. Shed kid's total psychopath. Yeah, getting the period right, um, Sister Jude's story arc, and 
just a lot of things here and there. I just thought there were like a lot of things I really made this season strong. I really didn't think you needed the aliens to do, um, in it. However, I've and been... And the weird part where the Nazi doctor knows of the aliens mm-hmm. and is frustrated at the fact that they won't like communicate with him. And I'm like, is this going to go somewhere? Totally doesn't. Yeah, I was like... This was the first <sighs> season that really started the let's drop a plot line. And season three is the worst at this. Hopefully season four can not be. But it really got to me of certain things like that. Like, the demon arc is completely, like, taken care of. Uh, Sister Jude taken care of. There's, there's certain characters that do get everything resolved. In fact, perhaps too resolved. Would you like to talk about the last two episodes? Yeah, let me just get to this. But they had a few things that were dropped. The Nazi scientist and his connection with the aliens never fully explored. The um, um, weird head girl. What was her name? I used to know her. Pepper. Pepper. Uh, Pepper and like her weird spiritual knowledge or whatever it was never really explained or covered. It's just accept that. It's just a plot point that was just kind of dropped. And then even the, oh, that, that's, that's the ending. And little things like that kind of got to me. Or like there's never a good explanation for why the doctor was doing his weird mute, you know, chopping people up in weird ways thing. And it, <laughs> removing their, their legs and their hands and turning them into animals and... All the weird experimentation, other than he was a Nazi, I'm like, it didn't serve a purpose. Nothing he did in that laboratory seemed to serve a purpose other than when he's working with uh, uh, Dale... the hell's his name in that one? What's not Tate's name in that season? Evan Peters? Evan Peters. When he's working with Evan Peters to meet the aliens, is the only time he ever does anything in that laboratory that seems to have any purpose. Uh, So there's little things like that that get dropped off. Uh, Then you get the last two episodes, and here's where things go to hell. Except for they don't, because everything's a happy ending. Uh, the corrupt priest guy gets confronted with the bad stuff in his past and just kind of kills himself, because instead of going forward with this whole becoming I, a terrible pope or whatever, he just... I want to take over the Catholic Church. Instead of taking it over and having a nice little dark twist that ending, he just kills himself. Um, uh, Evan Peters' kids who are, like, superhuman because of aliens. Nothing really comes of that. They just, they become doctors or something. It's really vague. It's just like, they became doctors and did good deeds. They were good people. They were good all around. They shared the f- magic of friendship to all. And I'm like, you guys are superhuman, possibly alien, like, hybrid things. Friggin' fly and save people from burning buildings. Shoot laser beams out of your eyes. Teleport. And then Evan, Psychic powers, anything. And it's then like, Evan Peters' character um, just gets beamed up. Yeah, he's like he's like old and dying of cancer or something. They should beam him up. Beam me up. And, and then the, he gets reborn as Quicksilver. And, and of course, he has the weird, like, polyamorous... Mormon relationship. ...wife thing going, but then one of the wives kills the other wife, and... Because, like, really that comes just comes that either. off, like, just off, just out of the blue. Okay, um, tangent. Season five, or if... American Horror Story decides to like just ever jump a shark with a com- complete storyline. I want to see alien baby children versus Antichrist. Oh, that would be awesome. But the, f- the complete wrap up of everything. American Horror Story Armageddon. Yeah. It's like that baby grew up. And by the way, here are the two alien kids. They're also adults too. And their whole purpose is to take him out and save the world. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Either way, the ending is going to be awesome. 
This can sound really bad or awesomely bad. Yes, either way, I'm fine with it. But yeah, it's just like the last two episodes, like I like resolve, I like resolution, but it doesn't always have to be a happy resolution. I mean, I do like the fact that like, yeah, Lana Winters, even though like you're rooting for her to get the hell out of there, like she becomes like, this really sleazy journalist, this sleazy writer where she exaggerates a lot of what has happened and lies through her book. And I like the scene where she's like giving a lecture and then you see um, people from the past is like, oh, why didn't you talk about this? Or why didn't you talk about me kind of thing? Why yeah. did you leave this part out? And I really like well, how that was done. And it's then- one of those interesting things where her original plan was, I want to talk about how messed up this asylum is which got turned to I got kidnapped by murder by a bloody face and now my whole life will be built around escaping my kidnapping oh yeah I went to mental hospital too I guess that happened and just and then when she comes back to it she exaggerates everything and blows out of the proportion so she can continue to have her career on like shock uh, stories and they use the last episode to basically do the the 2020 ending, interview yeah, 2020 interview that basically at the very end of it does the whole I wonder who the real monsters are and I'm like F you. Just F you. Um, no, she... Oh, yeah, yes, she did let fame corrupt her a little bit and what have you, but she did get that asylum shut down. She did help get Bloody Face imprisoned and stuff like that. Like, she did good stuff. Was she a good person the whole time? Probably not. She was probably always willing, ambitious and, like, overzealous of what she was going for, but that's not the moral of the story. The real serial killer? Are there two freaking serial killers in this? It is not her. She is not the bad guy. Don't give me this last episode morality if I wonder who the real cannibals are. You know who the real cannibals are? The freaking cannibals! Thank you, Brad Jones. Thank you, Brad Jones. So, it's just, I hated that stupid little, like, we're going to make a commentary about the press at the end of this. And I'm like, ugh, really? I totally forgot about those last couple words because I was already ready to conk out um, my second night of marathoning through American but, Horror Story. But, yeah, but. but then after watching it with me, it didn't me ranting for about an hour and a half on that. It just became a whole, okay, I get it. I'm not going to forget this because when Because when you end on that note, that kind of like just changed kind of like the rhythm and mood of the overall message of the of, of um, Asylum. Well, I always thought the... Um, the theme for Asylum was, like, sanity and, like, just how... And, like, are things what you perceive them to be? Yeah, who's really crazy? And and why are people seeing things the way they're seeing it? And it had that for a good theme of, like, you know... There's certain sequences where you're like, wait a second, is that what's really happening? Or is that what's what's in the character's head? Because it, it also messes up with the audience, too. Because, like we said earlier, like sometimes you don't really know what's going on. And that's why, like again, like I just felt like I had to go through every episode and just marathon through the whole thing to just... Just, just like... Just immerse myself in the mystery of everything. And the camera work was done really well, too, to give you an unsettling feeling throughout that season. Oh, the atmosphere in all of this was really... was so well well done. Like, you did not want to be in that asylum. Like, you felt, like, how dingy and how grainy it was. You felt like you got... you needed a tetanus shot after watching a couple episodes in a row. Yeah, I'll give you that. You're like, I need to see a doctor. I might have contracted something. I'm not sure, but... Because I really like um, when when the um, church lets go of Briarcliff and hands it over to the state. They were talking about like just how the place was like there was feces all over the place. Yeah, it and, just got worse. Yeah, 
And then I was actually reading some research that they were doing for American Horror Story season two, like the real life Briarcliff that inspired it. It was actually this um, correction facility in Long Island um, that eventually was shut down. There's actually a documentary of it some on Netflix. I tried watching it, but it was just kind of eh. But it was it was just really interesting to like just read about the real life Briarcliff on Wikipedia and like just kind of similarities of when it was taken over by the state, like what happened and how it got shut down. You're like, this documentary needs more Jessica Lang. <laughs> yeah, really. But while not as strong overall as season one, still pretty good other than the stupidity of the ending and wrapping up things a little too tightly and a little too happy ending on all, on all accounts. Ryan Murphy, Brad Falchuk, if you're listening to this podcast, um, American Horror Story, Armageddon, Alien Babies versus Antichrist Baby. You're still obsessed with that. I am. Then we go into season three, which... Which? Yeah, which... <laughs> I feel this is the weakest of all the seasons thus far. Of just... I, I did a whole Plinkett-esque thing of it, doing the protagonist joke, which is... We just watched this, um, we just finished this series. Well, I saw it the second time. You saw it the first time, like, yeah. an hour ago. And the whole thing is, if anyone who's familiar with the Plinkett videos from Red Letter Media, in their episode one video, I think it's the first part or second part of it, they do a whole talk about, you know, who's the protagonist of the story. And this is one of those ones where there is no protagonist, and when you don't have a protagonist, it's because you have an ensemble. But the ensemble is terrible. An ensemble works because they're all together as a group. They're people who you can, you know, as a group they function really well, which is the strength of season two, or season two, uh, season four. Well, season one and two both had a clear protagonist and a couple sub-protagonists. This doesn't. Everyone in the witch story is terrible. Even characters who are fighting against the witches, terrible. People who are in the coven, terrible. Outside people, terrible. There's no good people. When people die and it makes reference that they go to hell, yes, everyone in this series at one point or another will eventually end up in hell. So Jared, does Coven go to hell directly? Yes, because it needs to die and go directly to hell, which is my old uh, rage thing for certain things. But does, should it burn golden hell? No, that's too good for it. Okay, so just to recap, um, Coven um, takes place in New Orleans. Modernish and, times. And we follow a bunch of teen girls who are in this um, boarding school for witches. It's just a th like Queenie, Nan, um, Zoe, and um, Madison. So you have like four teen girls and they're just pretty much just learning to be witches and um, the whole story revolves around finding the next Supreme. Yeah, the person Supreme. will be the head of the coven and hopefully lead them to bigger and better things. And then you have Jessica Lang obsessing over like, I want to be young again. Let's dig up this um, old wretch here who has the power of immortality and find out what's her secret. And then you have Angela Bassett's um, cult, uh, the voodoo cult. She was awesome. Yeah, and they run a hair salon in um, the projects, I, I believe. And it's the, whatever the quarter is that they're from. I can't remember mm -hmm. what the proper term for it is. Yeah, I, I don't know my New Orleans very well because I've never been to New Orleans. The closest thing I've ever been to New Orleans was New Orleans Square in Anaheim. There's, there's a proper term for the area that is basically considered the low-income area. I just cannot remember the type, name of it off the top of my head. This series needed more beignets. But you, there's a, this is the, the series, this is the season that just had all these plot lines and just dropped them. 
it had a it had a really interesting concept, and I was I was really following it like the first couple of episodes. Okay, we just heard like a monstrous sound <laughs> as we were recording this. It's kind of like just like a barfing noise. It doesn't sound human. So I'm like, um, we're recording American Horror Story. The creepy podcast. neighbors are creepy. Yeah, like let's just move forward. And you have this really interesting location. You have something that like just takes off of Salem witches. You have a, two rival witch groups. Like you have the Voodoo's. You have like um, old school Salem going on. And you have like the major animosity between those two groups because of the history of how I guess American people learned to be witches from the Voodoo people. So it just led to this whole. Kind of like, we taught you stuff, but you still let us be slaves and things like that. And from the get-go, that sounds like a really interesting concept concept to go with. And also you have like the mysterious charm of New Orleans because how many movies and how much how many things from pop culture have like come out in New Orleans that that's based around the occult? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love to visit real New Orleans because I'm just like, yeah, I, I love creepy um, occulty places like that to like explore and visit. Yeah, that's why you live in Boston. True. Like half this place is haunted. All right, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Hi, ghost. <laughs> and and then the series just kind of like just goes in all these different directions, and you have some characters you first start end up liking, but then you really want to hate them, and you wish they were dead for real. <laughs> yeah, and then since most of the characters die, that it does get fulfilled eventually. But. It's one of those ones where you're feeling like no one here is a good person, or if they are a good person, they die. Well, okay, um, Nan survives fairly long before she dies. And I'd say of the four girls, she's the only one who had any redeemable qualities. And I really sympathize with Nan because she, she really did care about um, Luke. And she killed um, Patty Lapone out of rage. Yeah. And that was the only bad thing she, she ever did, did. And it was yeah. just more like... An impulse kill. And when she's taken out and that's referenced, it's like, yeah, but she's generally a good person. She just had one little slip up. Uh, I believe is what Jessica Lange's character says. Mm-hmm. And Papa Legba's like, yeah, she's no innocent. I'm like, yeah, because she killed Pally Pone. Yeah. You do not kill Pally Pone, but that's just my thing. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's, and then I liked Queenie. Queenie was not a good person by any stretch of the imagination. I hated Queenie from the get go, but oh, really? I, and I, but. I like I, her attitude. I just ended up liking her, like, just a little bit more towards the end. Because I think I just kind of, like, I don't know. I I just, I tend not to like impulsive characters. I'll agree with that. I liked her because she had an interesting power that I thought was going to be used for a really good usage. It's not. She's a human voodoo doll. Yeah, it's never really utilized. It's utilized for one plot device point, but beyond that, it serves no purpose. And by the way, that's one of my issues of most of the girls' main powers where I'm like, why did that never get used for anything other than this one time where they need to use it? And if you want to talk about stories that go nowhere, apparently there is this um, creature that um, the, the first immortal, um, what's her face? Um, Marie. Yeah. Um, um, Delphine LaLaurie um, concocted, like she took like one of her slaves and like combined it like with a horse head. And it made him some sort of weird Minotaur-esque thing. A manatar. Manatar. And then Queenie apparently has a hot for this manatar, and uh, she just decides to sleep with it for reasons. Yeah, and that goes nowhere. Goes nowhere, and the creature I think gets destroyed or dispelled or something. It just kind of just ceases to be in the story. Yeah, it's like and don't give okay. me the whole oh, uh, sex say, uh, tamed the savage beast. BS. 
BS. Plus, Queenie's pretty messed up after that, too. She got hurt pretty bad in that, that encounter. And you have characters, like, there's situations, like, I can't even think one off the top of my head where you think with all the bullshit that they've gone through, they would change for whatever reason, because I was feeling sympathy for Madison um, at certain points in the story, but when you have her, like, towards the end, where she goes on her, her like, Power oh, trip. yeah, when she's like, I be on TMZ, I love Evan Peters, yeah, yeah. By He's way, mine. Mine, mine, mine. This is mine. the series that also mine. felt like I was missing episodes. I was like, did I miss an episode? Because they just went from this, but now this is the status quo. And there's like, the only reason I know about this is because the characters are saying it. Um, visual medium, show, don't tell people. Yeah, I just felt like just things just, the status quo kept, kept shifting. And, and it's like, Without what's a good going explanation on? Of, of how or why. Characters kept getting, oh god, characters kept being resurrected. It's worse. People make the joke about comics and like no one stays dead in comics. No one stays dead in this freaking series. And the characters that do die, uh, whose souls basically get trapped in hell and it shows you that they're trapped in hell, you, two of them are characters I'm like, oh, I wanted you guys to live. The rest I could care less about. But two of them, I was like, I kind of liked you. Yeah, I really like Misty Day. Like, I thought she was a really cool character. Like, yeah, she was like this hippie from the swamps. And even though I don't really like hippies, um, she had she was like also the Stevie um, Nicks fangirl. And then like she had like this power to revive people from the swamps. She con kind of concocted like her own organic kind of magic. Without using her job or what she looks like, describe Misty Day. Okay, describe Misty Day. She's earthy. Okay. Okay. Come on. All right. Okay. Let's do this. Let's do this. Um, I can't say she's a hippie. I can't say she's okay. She's. And her power counts as her job. So. Okay. Okay. She's earthy. She cares about living creatures. She has okay. a lot of value for life. Um, earthy. She has a, val a lot of value for life. I can do this. Do, 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 do. I can say, like, yeah, it's easier for the other characters, and she doesn't really get a lot of screen time, but I know I can do this. No, of all the characters, she's the only one who I think you could do this for. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that was one reason I was doing this, like, to prove that the most well-rounded character of the story, you'd still have difficulty doing the protagonist test. Okay, all right. Or, uh, she's, character she, test. She's obviously, she cares about living beings, and, like, she may not be educated, um, because they do say like, yeah, she's she's a thing, this thing from the swamps, and she probably barely knows how to read. Um, she has like a lot of, um, I would say, street knowledge. Then yeah. she does a book knowledge. I don't know if there's a word for that, but yeah, street smarts over book swamp smarts. smarts. <laughs> so yeah, of of all the characters, she's she and probably Jessica Lang are the only two you could probably pull that off for. Uh, most of the characters are very much determined by like she's a witch. You know, I mean, even like Kathy Bates' character, as despicably likable as she is, because she's a horrible person. That was another issue. I kind of liked her as a character just because of how she would add a new sense of tension until it just became let's shame the slave owner for like the second half of the series. Okay, because like going back to another point we made, um, I think this relationship between Queenie and Delphine, uh, Lori, yeah. Um, was like shifting back and forth and it was never on a consistent level because yeah. you want to believe like yeah they were developing this relationship and like yeah at first they had like this i hate you i hate you because reasons and well, then you kind the of slavery thing and then you kind of kind of see them sort of like just kind of seeing eye to eye yeah you, you start to think that she's starting to have a begrudgingly changing and kind of seeing that maybe torturing slaves wasn't the best choice for her to do in her life 
and then you have them just completely diverging into opposite directions back to the status quo um, two episodes ago. Like, wait, I thought all of this had happened in the previous episode. Did you she just ignore this, that? Did she had you... this character growth where it looked like she was starting to begrudgingly accept that, and then she instantly does a heel turn. <laughs> Wrestling terminology. And basically says, no, I hate the fact that there's a black person as president. And I hate the fact that they're defiling my home with these stupid tours. And I'm going to go back to like the way things were in the old days. And it's just like, but you just had this slight character growth where you're starting to show some compassion for everything. And then you decide, nope, screw that. I can rewrite my own history, which I kind of liked that. I, I didn't know if they were going to kill her off or not, or just leave her as this tour guide of her own house, slowly rewriting the history of her life. I kind of would prefer that that as an ending, but... That'd have been interesting, because she'd been this immortal housekeeper of her own house. In a way, it's again, it's that thing I was talking about from uh, um, season two. It's the, it's the living death. It's the, you're constantly just stuck in this BS of part of your life that you cannot do anything about. However, what do you think of their concept of hell and coven? I, that's one of the stronger points of this season. Um, I liked the idea that everyone was personalized and not always made up of pain, though some were. A lot of them were the pain of like being mundane, the pain of like one childhood memory you will never let go of, or that one thing you always wanted that, but you can't have. And some were really retarded when Zoe comes back and she's like, Kyle kept saying he didn't love me. I'm like, bitch, you better die in the next seat. Oh, he did. Good. 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 You're dead. Good. Good. Zoe, I thought, was I like the Zoe. weakest character in in Coven. I liked, I liked her in season one. I can't pronounce the actress's name for the life of me, but she was just the weakest character. I just could not follow her. Like, even as bitchy as Madison is... I still like following Madison because she was a fun character to follow and she had, like, even had her moments. Because well, she had the Cartman kind of thing going for her where she was a terrible, terrible person, but you kind of want to see what she's going to do next. Zoe was a piece of plywood floating in a river. She's the Belle Swan yeah. of Coven. And, and you think in episode one where she gets taken away by the people and brought into the school and she's the fish out of water. I'm like, oh, we're going to see you grow and become really powerful and everyone's going to come jealous of you or... Or maybe you're going to remain weak, but then get jealous of the stronger ones and then get this like dark side impulse of start murdering. No, she's just like, I'm Driftwood. I kind of have a crush on this dead frat boy. So I'll bring him back as a murderous zombie. And towards... There'll be no consequence for that. And even at the end of Coven, where like you're supposed to believe that they're part of a new council, I, I don't buy it. I buy Queenie Queen, in the Queenie council. Queenie had some character growth. She went from like really bitchy chick to actually having survived some shit and accepting it. And if Madison had like any redemption towards the end or just just kind of like just whipped into being a better person, I probably would have believed her more being a part of the council than Zoe. Yeah, her hell was stupid too. Just being B-list in a TV musical. By the way, also making fun of when they were doing that TV musical around the same time. So I'm like, timely. But her hell was also really stupid like queenie's hell i could relate to being stuck working at a fast food restaurant for eternity with really bitchy customers and a line that never ends while your boss talks shit on you the entire time yeah i could get that as hell i think mine would just be being stuck in high school i just live those four years over and none of the fun parts it literally when class ends i would leave my sixth period just to go back to my first period and then i just go through the whole thing over and then and my lunch would be crappy, too. I wouldn't have a good lunch. It'd be all those times I'm like, oh, good, a liverwurst sandwich. Just put that back in the bag. So let's talk about Fiona Goodsell. Or rather, the Axeman's Heaven. 
I liked that twist at the end there. Although his is still hell, because he has to live with a bitchy woman for the rest of his eternity. But, but he like, has the power in that, he, he has the power in the relationship, which is nice. He gets to go fishing, which is great. Fishing would be part of my heaven. And he has this nice little cabin in the middle of nowhere. Because that's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. And then even in the end, and he's like, yeah, I'm in heaven. And then like, oh, snap. And then you just see, uh, what's his name? Uh, Papa Legba uh, laughing, his little silhouette laughing. And I'm like, that's so great. Yeah, I really thought that was just a really strong sequence. And I was like thinking to myself when I was watching that sequence again, like, oh, she woke up at that house in part two. It is the exact same house from season two. They just redressed it to make it look like a stinky log cabin. Yeah. But it's the exact same house from uh, the the farm cottage. It also begs the question, like, okay, Axeman, I know you you are also just as bad as everyone else. What what gives you the right to be in in your own personal heaven? Um, that is a good question. It's something I was thinking too. I'm like, why is he? Why are you in heaven? Because at first I was like, well, he's in hell too because he has to be with this bitchy woman. But no. But he also did did like her too. And he's like, you've been drinking too much. You got to be a good wife. And I'm like. Oh no, he has that power that he never had. She was always manipulating him and pushing him around, and now he gets to have the balls in the relationship. And I'm like, that is kind of odd, but he did murder people. He's called Axeman for a reason, not because he plays a musical instrument, although he does that too. And I'm like, did, did he sell his soul to Papa Ligba too? But like, I want to play really good j- blues, but I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven where I can boss around an old lady. Okay. <laughs> like, like, how did that happen? And, like, kind of towards the end... I like, know he was a field musician, so never mind. He didn't sell a soul for... Uh, he sold a soul to have a nice little log cabin heaven. And then you also kind of, like, just towards the end, when you th- when you first believe, like, yeah, Fiona's dead, she was fed to the alligators, blah, blah, blah. And then you see her towards the end, and she kind of has, like, that final moment with um, Lana Winters. Yeah. I, I, even, I forgot her name. Cordelia? Yeah, Cordelia. <laughs> Okay, anywho, when she has that final moment with Cordelia, I'm like, okay, like, I see some sense of redemption here. I, I, I buy it. I believe it. I was so thinking that she was going to do that hug, and you just see her pull up a knife, and then the next sequence would just show her walking down the stairs, being like, girls, I'm the Supreme still. You know, and it just like, oh, snap. Um, but no, that did not happen. I was so sure. I, was, I thought it was going to be like the little end scene from Pet Cemetery, darling, and then just holding the knife up. Mm-hmm. And you know where it's freaking going. And that just would have been great. I would actually prefer that ending. Yeah. I mean, her going to hell, I liked her hell sequence. And like I said, the hell sequences are one of the stronger parts of this. All the plot lines that go nowhere are the weak parts. They introduce witch hunters, goes nowhere. And they just get wiped out. They introduce the voodoo people, goes nowhere. And I, I can't even say they get wiped out. They just, I guess, continued at their hair salon or something. They just gave up. Like, well, our leader died, so... Um... They were all mass murdered by the witch, witch hunters. They established oh, okay. that. It they, was that very... Was yeah, it was very quick because you see the head of the witch hunter organization just going through, like, all, all these photos. Okay, okay. I mean, it was done, like... The cutting was just, like, really quick. See, it's... Again, it feels like I missed an episode. And you know what? That I... should have been a sequence of seeing them rush in. The witch hunters should have been a threat. And they also get pwned out in a really stupid way. Yeah, and I really wanted to like just get to know like more of the um, hair salon um, assistants of Marie Laveau because I also thought like the whole voodoo culture part of it was one of the more interesting things that should have been explored a little I bit more. I thought that was going to be a big part of it when but, I saw that it took place in New Orleans. I'm like, oh, cool, we'll get some voodoo stuff. No, not really. Yeah, but then like you kind of have like just some other storylines that go nowhere, like you said, that I thought were unnecessary. Like you had the necrophilia subplot and the yep. living doll subplot. Yeah. That was creepy. 
Then you have like had the incest subplot, and I thought it was just more done more for shock value. Most stuff in this was done for shock value. Then it was actually horror. I never felt scared. I never. Nope. The only time I really cringed was like anything. Any time Spalding came on screen. Yeah, he was. He was creepy. If you really good makeup job on that dude. Yeah, if if you've Just seen Scary end. Movie Part Two, where, where it takes place in a haunted house, and there's that creepy um, help guy, that's Spalding. And I, I do like his little last line of the entire thing, where he just looks at, at uh, Kyle and it's just like, "Who are you? I'm the help." And you're just like, "Oh man, these two guys are gonna be creepy butlers together. Let's be creepy butlers and gay." I'm a zombie, so whatevs, dude. I don't feel shit. <laughs> no, he, he's more into living dolls. Yeah, that's true. Or necrophilia fun times. Yeah. Yeah, like, there's... there's and then you also have this zombie... Zomb- he's a zombie, so, you know... You also kind of had, like, that zombie plot line, like, that was done for two episodes that kind of was interesting. Oh, yeah, where the voodoo people raise actual voodoo zombies to attack them, and then that just kind of goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like there's a lot I felt you could have done, and it really had like a lot of potential. So I think. And the Christian family who moved in next door, who was like extreme, but then turns out that the mother's just a psychopath because they're not actual reason given. She just is. Just, mm-hmm. just she's just a psychotic person because, I guess what the Christians are just as evil as the witches. Is that the metaphor there? Because it really failed, you know. She was a terrible person, but she doesn't represent an entire religion. I mean, the, the the corrupt priest guy from season two is a much better example of Christians being as bad as the witches. Uh, she was just a psychopath who used God as an excuse. Or more like just religion as a crutch. Crutch, yeah, I guess it's more of that. More of her way of dealing with the horribleness of herself. But yeah, there's a lot of drop plot lines. The ending is really stupid. It, it ends as Xavier's school for gifted youngsters. It's just Cordelia goes on TV and she's like, witches exist and your daughter might be a witch and you could bring them to our school. We'll make them even better. And I saw like that huge crowd of girls like like, outside. I'm like, how many rooms do you guys have at the Haunted Mansion? Well, not only that, but how many people are actual real witches and how many people are just angsty teens who are like, I'm totally a witch. I haven't used any powers yet, but I'm sure I have them because like my stepdad's a jerk. I know I knew so many girls like that in high school. Yeah. So, and I'm, but here's the deal: who the hell would let some woman go on TV claiming that she's a witch and has her own witch academy? Who would let? Look, there's nothing she could do that would make anyone believe that witches are real. I mean, outside of like, I don't know, flying around on a broomstick, throwing balls of fire at people needing their children. I, unless you go full-on stereotype, I don't know if there's anything you could really do that people would believe you. Because why would they? Coven didn't really feel as page-turny as season one or season two. It felt Se- like a chore. It just felt like, okay, let's just get through this, shall we? Because I was watching it as it was broadcast. I was like, okay, next episode will be better, right? Next episode's going to wrap up. It's like, no, we're going back to the status quo for some reason. The sort of status quo that they've now established because two characters had dialogue saying what the status quo is rather than freaking showing it. So, yeah, Coven, it has it has its moments. If you're, if you're an American Horror Story fan, if you do like the actors in it, it's worth a watch, but it's also worth skipping if you're looking for I'll get, actual I'll give horror. it that. 
Every actor other than Evan Peters does a really good job in this. And look, I'm gonna give two excuses for Evan Peters. One, he's playing a zombie, so emotion and emoting is not entirely what he needs to do. Two, he was filming X-Men, so I think that's why he just, they could just shoot those zombie sequences really quick and he could just go off to do X-Men. So that was also probably part of the problem. And he's great in X-Men for his like 10 minutes of that movie and I wish he was in it for more. And I hope he's in Apocalypse, but, we hope you have your apocalypse. Cause you're awesome. And if your sister's Polaris, I'm fine with that too. I don't care. I'm not, Polaris is fine too. I'm not. I'm not super. Uh, well, cute green-haired girls. You know, one of my weaknesses. All right. Shall we talk about Freak Show this current season? Yeah. So, I started Freak Show before I started Coven. I think. Yeah, um, we were watching it simultaneously. Yeah, I'm watching kind of simultaneously. And while Coven was always disappointing me, Freak Show I was always back and forth on. There's a lot to like in the episodes we've seen so far and a lot to dislike. It, but though it, at least, as opposed to Coven, it isn't boring. Yet. <laughs> um, it actually makes me curious as to what's going to happen next, which is what season one and two really had going for them. I really felt that season three kind of was going for a metaphor on oppression, and but it, to me it just kind of failed in that respect. And I, But I think using... Um, the freaks and the freak show as like a metaphor for oppression on like people who are marginalized. I thought that was, was a better metaphor yes. for that. Yes, it works a lot better. Because you actually see people on the outside of the freak world, um, giving them glares, um, being violent towards them, um, scapegoating them. Just because they look different. And also you have that scene where um, the um, human, I forgot what his name was, but when they a scapegoat one of the freaks for, for the murders yeah, and they take um, him yeah meep when they t- take him to that uh, prison cell like oh my god he's gonna get gang rape and I like this guy <laughs> meep was a he was a geek and he probably was uh, had some probably some sort of mental disability which I'm, I'm assuming is probably why he behaves the way he behaves but he was not a bad person at all he was just he's like horrible. this pure kind soul who just happened to be mentally damaged and would do weird stuff for the freak show because it was the only place that would accept him. And then he goes to jail where he's probably going to be raped and beaten to death. And, and no, they say he dies, don't they? Yeah, he dies. Yeah, so he dies probably in prison. Um, and because they, they delivered the body to they the They delivered freak. the body back, that's right. And he's all beaten to crap and everything. So that already sets up this interesting thing where, much like the movie, uh, you know, Freaks? Freaks, thank you. Um, like the movie Freaks, the freaks are the good people, and the humans tend to be the bad, or whatever, the, the not deformed people. Uh, pretty on the outside, ugly on the inside. Ugly on the outside, pretty on the inside. Is, is it, It's taking that, but I'm fine with it, and that's not for every member of their troop either. But there are definitely certain ones. Uh, Mopati was in that category of just a pure, good soul. I liked her. I love Mopati. But no, you have to go to Game of Thrones route. Everybody liked you. Yeah, and and me, pure good soul. Bad things happen. Uh, Evan Peters is a, is actually allowed to act again, which is nice. And I actually do like his, his um, character in this one. It's interesting to watch again too. Yeah, because he's kind of in a weird position in his life as well. In, in this story, where you know, yes, he's part of the freak show. Yes, it's his family. And yet you can tell there's that part of him that wants to run away, but there's part of him who wants to be there for everyone. And it's actually a complex character whose motivation is kind of split. And 
Can anyone really say in their lives, you don't have that part where there's part of you that goes, I wanna do this, but then part of your brain goes, but I also wanna do this. And then part of you goes like, oh, but I should really do this. And he's going through that kind of stuff. You know, when he finds out who his father is, that's a huge deal for him. And he ignores everything else that's going on in, in around him because of just this whole, I have an actual family connection, you know, a new family connection. Yeah, there, there's, there's things like that that work really well and make his character really complex. And the villains are the exact same villains from the movie Freaks. It's it's female who's trying to manipulate them, but is becoming really sympathetic, and male who's a complete dick. Um, the the way that the um American Horror Story Freak Show was introduced was they wanted to focus on the um, Siamese twins, and I kind of like the first episode. I'll give it like seven out of ten, um, but. I think you, when you and I were watching um, Freak Show, it doesn't really build up until like episode four or five because you're still getting to know like all the characters. And it, believe me, it's a menagerie of characters. It's, it's a slow burn and has some really annoying quirks. How so? Well, while we did talk in about season one and two, especially about how they did a lot of work to make it really fit like the time period. This one does not. This one, when I'm looking around the time period, I'm like, wait, is this the 1950s? Is this the 1940s? The 1960s? What are we, based on our clothing, is different than our music? And then there's the songs they sing in the Freak Show, which are all from the 90s and 2000s. I'm like, why are you singing Nirvana? I mean, I, I kind of get if you're like, okay, we are at a Freak Show. Let's do something a little bit different here. But if you're taking that much effort into making it look like the 50s, I felt the opposite way. I felt like everything, like the costume designs, how everything looked like for a period um, was like, okay, that's 1950s, early 50s. Yes, it didn't look early 50s. It looked like it was shifting between 50s and 60s to me. It, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of uh, certain parts of it. Reminded me of Happy Days, which is how these 70s viewed the 50s. Now you have an image of... I have, like, now this image of Evan Peters' character at a jukebox with his lobster hands just hitting a jukebox. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of weird things that seem like Eight. exaggerations of that time period because of how it's being handled, and that just doesn't seem... doesn't look right to me. Some of the hairstyles don't seem, like, right for the time. Things like that. Which is the same problem Happy Days has, but Happy Days is so kitsch, you gotta love it anyways. I still kind of like the overall look of it and just the effort they made, even if though it's an exaggerated version of the 50s. Then again, you're also dealing with a freak show and it's kind of like the quirky part of American society back then. And, and, and you wanted weird people to, in the middle of nowhere, Florida. And you also wanted to like get the, dif uh, the differentiation from the freak show and the normal world. And also the funky world of incestuous high society. Yeah. That was, yeah. The, uh, the other thing I like about Freak Show, um, unlike Coven, and much like Murder House and especially Asylum, is it, there were parts of Freak Show that just made you feel really disturbed inside. Yeah. And the character, um, he's a new actor for the uh, Freak Show franchise. I forgot what his name was, but he plays Dandy, who is his um, product of incest. And he desperately wants to be part of the show because he really believes inside that he's a freak. And he assists... He behaves fairly accordingly in that regard. And this guy, like, even though he looks very polished, he looks very clean, is a complete sociopath. Yeah. He's, he's a very horrible, horrible person, and the actor plays it off amazingly. It's one of those ones where he's so unsettling when he's on screen, and in, in, in a good horror movie sort of way. Kind of like uh, 
uh, the butler guy in season three. One of the strengths of season three is just he's so unsettling when he's on screen that you're like, I don't want to be in a room in the sky. Him and having him on the TV right now makes me afraid he's going to like walk through the doorway. Like I just, no, no, no. There's something unsettling about you and I don't like it. And he did it amazingly. He does it amazingly well because his character's still around. Yeah, so I'm just wondering where um, American Horror Story Freak Show is going to go with this character because for the longest time I thought that Twisty the Clown was going to be our mainstay villain for the whole thing, but as we learned in, in um, American Horror Story, there's never one bad guy. Yeah, and, and most of the seasons kind of have that theme, except for three where everyone's a bad guy. Um, but I liked the clown, and I, I felt you feel so sorry for him when you get the backstory and you realize kind of why he was doing what he was doing. And you're like, oh, I mean, you're still horrible. You did horrible, horrible things, but your reasoning for it was because you were, you know, again, he's someone who has a mental disability, was manipulated, uh, maimed, and then just tried to make people happy in his own disturbing way. And yeah, that was a really tragic backstory because the episode where it's introduced, I thought was a really interesting um, insight to getting everyone's um, backstory. Um, they had this guy, I forgot what was his name, <sighs> Dang. Oh, God. He's, he, it's some sort of... Uh, it's a French name. It's fancy like this, French name, yeah. Yeah. So you have Mr. Fancy French here, who is like this arist the um, freak show aristocrat. Yes, yeah, so who they make reference to in previous episodes, who you think is like a legend or something. He's not an actual real person. And whether or not he's an actual real person or just someone for the audi as an audience proxy... Is hard to say. There, I was actually reading. Um, There's this article that was posted on Reddit that had like um, pictures of um, sideshow characters mm -hmm. um, that American Horror Story um, based off based off um, based yeah, off on. Yeah, I know a lot of those were actually based on. And there things. was actually this one guy who had two faces, one in front and one in the back. The one on the front was active. The one in the back was always had like perpetual sleepy face. Mm -hmm. It was, it was there, but it wasn't um, sentient. If that well, makes any it's, sense. Well, it's there's a explanation for that. Anyway, you can Google that up. It's basically a conjoined twin that never finished forming. So it just looks like it would look like in the womb, sleeping. And so you have like Mr. Um, Freak Show Aristocrat here, and he just reveals every, like just main characters, their backstory. You find out where the bearded lady comes from. And I thought Jessica Lang's one was really interesting. Yeah. And because you and I, we had a theory for a while that the reason why she lost her legs, like, well, maybe she lost in the war in Berlin in the 30s, and that's why she's here, or lost in during World War II when Germany was being bombed. Yeah, a lot of different directions you could go with that. Or even, like, anti-German rage if she was, like, an immigrant. You could possibly make an excuse for that, though that would have worked better had she been, like, Asian, or Japanese specifically, but Asian in general got shafted as well. Yeah, the Chinese and the Koreans don't get to complain as much about that, but I'm pretty cer fairly certain they got thrown in those camps as well. They did, actually, even if you're a half. Yeah. If you even just remotely looked like the enemy, they just tossed you in a camp. So I don't think it mattered what your ethnicity was. It's just the Japanese are the most vocal about it. Mm -hmm. and, and then you find out her backstory, and then the, essentially she was an S&M club performer. She was a dom. She was a failed singer or whatever who then had to take that as a job. At least that's how I understood it. Mm -hmm. So she takes on this role as a dom, and then she's invited to was to do like these. She didn't know that they were <laughs> snuff films, but yeah. they ended up being snuff films. Yeah, she was invited to do a very expensive private show that turned out to be a snuff film, and she survived. Which means they did their job terribly if they're snuff film. 
Also, I would like to point out, do you know how expensive film equipment would be in the 1930s? Just saying. They were really rich guys who really wanted to do something. Yeah, they're Zaz. I'm rich and bored. Let's kill people. Sounds like fun. <laughs> like, okay. Is this what rich, bored people do in the 30s? In any time period, I guess? I'm rich and bored. Let's oh, kill people. Nazi Germany. Oh, that's true. And her backstory is, is very sympathetic. It's like, oh my god. And then... You get, uh, then when you find out what Twisty the Clown's backstory is, like, oh That's my the God. one that makes you want to cry. You're like, no. I want to give you a hug. You kill people, but I want to give you a hug. Well, and he wouldn't have had a handful of people not, you know, messed with him. Because they're the ones who sent him off on running, running away from the circus. And then just a whole set of unfortunate circumstances after that, that between his brain problems and his def getting deformed is enough to really, you know, destroy a guy. And it was all because a bunch of other guys were just messing with him for no reason because they're just evil dicks were like hey he has a mental disability let's get him drunk and mess with him because you know mental dis handicap people that's and a funny. twist there it's the it's the actual freaks that are making fun of him rather than the normal people showing that like yeah like not all of the freaks are all innocent as they they might be yeah and i i like the complexity of that and that's one of the, one of the things I find very strong about um, Freak Show. Like you have this complexity, like not all of these people are complete angels, but then again, they're being scapegoated. Well, yeah, but the only two that were were the two that have been killed. <laughs> but I, I still find it to be an interesting season. It's just going to be and interesting then, um, where it goes. I really like just for how he does his character, uh, the strong man who is. Um, Shoot, it's Michael Chiklis, isn't it? Yes. Michael Chiklis is so good as the strong man. And just how they keep peeling away. He is, he is an onion of a character. It's just layer. Oh, by the way, this. Oh, by the way, this. Oh, by the way, this. And I'm like, how deep is this going to go with him? Because you sit there and you're like, okay, he's, he's kind of a drunk. Oh, then he's also, he's also like. He's a bald gay man. Closeted gay. Oh, he's also like, he was related to the, uh, crab hand family and he's actually evan peter's dad and i'm like how much further is this going to go with this guy he's luke's father and chewbacca's you do the math he's gotten busy and i, I like that and I, I like the tension between the performers and honestly my least liked characters of the entire thing are the twins i find them completely insufferable and I know they're going to be around to the last episode, but God, do I not like the twins. And, and it's weird, too, because I, I really like Sarah Paulson. I even liked her in Coven, but I, I just I just didn't really find these characters likable. Well, neither of them are redeemable. I found her annoying in Coven, too, actually. <laughs> Says the blind man. Yeah, I know. That's a blind person. What do you think of Sarah Paulson? Because her, her whole character is like, I hate myself so much, I hate myself so much. I'm like, oh, fuck, get over your problems. You're a grown woman. Or leave the house, or do anything. But she just wallows in self-misery for 90% of that series. And I'm just like, ugh. I liked her in season one, though. She wasn't in season one. Or season two, then? Yeah, season two. Yeah, she really, season two. She's, she's Lana Winters. Lana Winters, excuse me. Yeah, I liked her in season season two. She was actually really good, despite the stupidity of the ending. I really liked her as Lana. And then season three, I was kind of so-so. She just got annoying, but God, do I hate the twins. 
yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't really care much for it. I'm just waiting for one or the other to chop each other, chop the other's head off and move on with life. Basically, you have the one who's constantly complaining about stuff, and then you have the one who's too stupid to realize her life sucks. And it was just like, it's... It's just two extremes. It's too stupid to know you're in a bad place and never stops complaining about being in the bad place. And like, neither of these personalities are likable. And I'm waiting for one of you to die, but that's not gonna happen to the end. And I think they were... Okay, so let's get back to the topic on music, because I know we always ran about this anytime there's a singing sequence in American Horror Story. Yeah. Well, at least for Freak Show. I can understand why it happened in Asylum, because Jessica Lange was going crazy. And that song existed at the time. The, mm -hmm. the name game was around at that time period. And it was all going in her head, like, yeah, this is me being the entertainer I used to be back 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 in the day by the way running thing that i hate with jessica lang is every single one of her characters at one point or another was connected with show business and then had something ruin it every one of them um although the connection of show business for uh three is kind of she wasn't a performer she was like a, a figurehead hollywood slots i'm not quite sure what her deal was she was sleeping around with everyone in hollywood but i'm not quite sure if she actually had a role and she doesn't make a reference to being an actress or a singer she just was sleeping around with rich and powerful people because they can take her their energy and life force I, I so guess. she can be young because uh, they made reference that she was sleeping with her um with her surgeon yeah yeah their plastic surgeon person but anywho um just just getting back to season four and i i was making a joke that like Anytime they do a, a sequence where they're singing and it's taking up um, screen time rather than like going forward with a story, it just it feels like Lee. Yeah, it feels like lazy writing. But what, what, we're I, filling up time. When, when we got through episode one, it does the whole this season on, you know, it shows you clips from like the first five, six episodes out of context and out of order, but they show the singing of the Fiona Apple song or whatever, and I'm like, well, Maybe that, that's out of context, though. That could just have been, like, them using that music because, you know, to throw us off. Or, nope, actual sequence. And I'm like, as soon as that sequence came up, I'm like, oh, crap. Because they did cover a uh, David Bowie in the first episode, Is There Life on Mars or something to that effect. Like, okay, I'll give them one free pass. Yeah. Because when you think about it, it kind of makes a little bit, makes makes some sense, sense here. Like, yeah, it's a freak show. It's kind of supposed to be different than your ordinary savoir-faire. Um, but when they get into Nirvana, Fiona Apple just kind of like just takes me off the loop because you put all this effort into making it look time period accurate. Even even the soundtrack, the music choices they have take a lot. They put in a lot of effort to like just keep in some really interesting B sides from the 1950s there to make it feel like you're part of that world. And then I just feel so taken out when you have Evan Peters singing Nirvana. Couldn't couldn't get the rights for Chubby Checker. Just not not on the list. Well, he was 1950s, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Before he died. Everyone dies. Not every man truly lives. So yeah, that, some of that just kind of like just taken me out of a loop loop for it, and I also don't like the fact that they're, it feels like they're using it to like eat up time. Yes. And again, one of the quirks of the episodes. It's like we don't have enough story for this episode. Throw in a musical number. It's very My Little Pony, and I don't like it. Write a damn good story. Gem gets to have musical numbers because it associates with the content of the series. If your series is not Gem, you do not have the right or focusing on some sort of musical singer person. I'll, I'll give you slides for Hannah Montana. 
though I never watched that because, you know. I mean, I'll give a pass for for Coven for having Stevie Nicks. But that worked fine because it was the modern age. Stevie Nicks existed and she was even a character, which I thought was stupid, but whatever. She wasn't even a character. She was playing herself, but that was dumb, but whatever. I'll let that slide. Yeah, Brad Pelfell, Chicken Ryan Murphy, like, hey, Stevie, do you want me in an episode of American Horror Story? We're just going to blast your music the whole throughout most of the episodes. And can we, like, just have, like, the right to, like, some of your songs? And can we just use, like, the title, like, one of your B-sides to be, like, a plot, plot device? But for all we know, um, she could have been a fan of the franchise and met there at some sort of party. And they're like, well, our next one's on Witches, and your nickname's The White Witch, so, you know, we could figure this out. Like, it could have been something like that going on, too. Or they just happen to meet. She's like, I love your show. We love your music. We can work on this. But it's one of those things where, you know, I love old school Black Sabbath, but I don't need to get Ozzy Osbourne on my episode of whatever TV show I work on. Mm-hmm. One, because, you know, no one will understand a damn word he says. And, and two, because I don't know what I could possibly write that somehow would incorporate a character that Ozzy Osbourne could play. Crazy cat lady. You know it's true. <laughs> it's true. Then his dialogue doesn't have to make sense. You can just have him like make a cameo as a crazy cat lady, just complain about his cats, <laughs> and like just have him like just not even do makeup, and just ask him to raise his voice, and we just need you to play a crazy cat lady, and he- here's a bottle of Guinness. Have fun. Although I think he supposedly has cleaned himself up now. That's what he says. Or so. So he says, um, he's 11 so, or, well, just from all the drugs and stuff, he's physically 11 if he isn't quite there in natural numbers. But, I don't know, I, just, I thought that was weird for season three. But let's get back to the music. The music throws it off, and the problem is, this one does that same thing that four kind of, or uh, four and three do the same thing where they kind of, like, jump around a little bit and if you're not paying attention to a little detail in the background you might miss out on a plot point like i didn't know all the voodoo ladies were killed i was just like because apparently that's what those pictures were but i wasn't paying attention to the pictures so then i don't know that they're dead and i'm like well what happened to them because there were points during like coven was like well i could i guess i could just cut fabric while i'm watching this and while it's going on and yeah you have to like just listen closely and watch closely because things just was on by really fast. Yeah. But um, for season four, I know Patty Lapone is supposed to come back. Um, Neil Patrick Harris is supposed to show up in the later episodes. I've been waiting for him. And yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on season four and where it's headed? Um, like I said, other than not really liking the twins, who don't even get all that much screen time, I actually really do enjoy the show. I'm curious to see where things are going to go because there's a lot of directions. You know, while season three is very predictable and season two has its predictable moments, this reminds me of season one, where every, you know, every episode of season one gives you a new flashback and you never quite knew what was going to happen, but you know it was going to end bad. And if this one, you don't know what's going to happen to the different freaks, you don't know which one could get killed or, you know, what's going to happen with crazy townspeople or any of that stuff. And I like that whole, you know, you don't know what's going to happen next because everything is so volatile and everything feels like it's like balancing on a, a trap, you know, whatever, the, the high, or high wire. They're balancing on the high wire and you realize that at any moment they're going to fall. You just don't know when it's going to happen or who it's going to happen to. But, you know, someone going across this high wire is going to fall off. I feel it has like a Game of Thrones effects where we're in, in the sense where like you really enjoyed, you really grow to love certain characters. Like, oh my God, they kicked the bucket. Because when you see that if, image of Ma Petite in that jar, it's like, 
Oh, it's it heartbreaking. You, it's heartbreaking. Gives you chills. You just kind of like just sit there, like, oh my god, it just hits you emotionally, which is something that I didn't get out of season three. Three, there's nothing there that just hit me emotionally or just made me like sit there and be like, oh my god. Yeah. When. And then I'm I'm just I'm I'm just curious to see where this is all gonna go. Apparently, Lily Rabe, who played Sister Mary Eunice, is supposed to show up towards the end of Freak Show, because Pepper is one of the freaks. Yeah. So I'm just kind of curious to see how the, that plays in. So we're gonna see Sister Mary Eunice in her like I love all living things and creatures. Yeah, her. her. Is she actually gonna play the same character? Yeah. Okay. Sister Mary Eunice before she goes. Before she gets possessed. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see it's like where this all goes. And I have high hopes so far. And I, likewise, um, American Horror Story just continue to just freak me the hell out because I am ready. Yeah, it works. This one takes uh, the disturbing imagery of season two and the mystery what's going to happen next to season one. And, and it works really well at combining them. The music is, is an issue. Uh, Jessica Lang playing the same character again is kind of an issue. It's her last season, so whatever. Oh, that's too bad. I want to see her around for more. I, I like her as an actress. It's I do too. It just annoys me that her character, again, she's playing the manipulative, I used to be a star character. And I'm just like, I could do with you playing someone new. That's Maybe. why I like Sister Jude, because Sister Jude isn't manipulative. She's forceful. She's, I'm not going to try subtlety. If I, you piss me off, I'm just going to smack you with a stick until you do what I say. Uh, versus the manipulative, horrible person she is in 1 and 3. And this one, she isn't as bad of a person as she is in 1 and 3, but she still it still tones and echoes of those two characters. And I'm like, come on, be someone unique and different. Stop trying to be this, like, I'm an aged actress trying to, or, well, in this case, singer, trying to recapture your former glories. Like, I just, ugh. I, I don't know. I just wish she was playing something a little bit different. That's why I liked her in so much more. And I like her in season one. She steals the show. I'm not saying she was bad in that. It's just three felt like a repeat of the same character, and four kind of feels like a watered-down repeat of the same character. And I'd like her to play something more, because I know she could. She has that range, and she has the chops. Yeah. I'm, it's too bad if this is her final season in the series, because... Maybe she'll show up for American Horror Story Armageddon and dies the first episode because cameo. Yeah. I'm sorry, Grandma. I don't need you anymore. Gunshot. <laughs> she's like, oh. I mean, she's a horrible person, but still. <laughs> but, so. but yes, this, this show is pretty strong. Uh, hopefully you're watching this and we haven't spoiled every season for you up to this point. Uh, if we, we did have, warn you. <laughs> we did warn you, yeah. So uh, just bear that in mind. But... You know, hopefully we can do an end-of-season discussion, maybe throw in a couple of our other series. But we'll worry about that when we get there. Until then, this is Jared for Scarlet saying, keep it bizarre, because it's hip to be square. So do you want to bury the body underneath the Cat's Con gazebo? We have to. It's our only choice. Coming like a batter and batter and I'm knocking, knocking down the door again.